0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. Amy Knight.
1: Hello from Nashville.
0: I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.TV, and this week we have a special guest, and that's John Daniel Trask. Hi, everyone. Do you want to give us a brief introduction? I don't think you've been on the show for quite a while.
2: It has been quite a while. Uh, so you can probably tell from my accent, um, I'm not from America. So I'm from New Zealand, although I hail now from Seattle. I split my time between New Zealand and here. And I'm the co founder and CEO of Reagan at uh, raygun.com. Most Americans think I'm saying Reagan as in the old president. But um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm up here. Um, lots of experiences, software developer, although sadly doing a little bit less and less as the company continues to grow.
0: Gotcha. If I'd known you were in Seattle, I'd uh, ask you to go grab lunch. Uh, AJ and I were up in Seattle for build last week.
2: Oh, right. Yeah. Well, I had a a good number of meetings with folks up here. It was a a good event from, from what everybody was saying.
0: Yep. It was fun.
2: Anyway, so
0: um, we were discussing before the show what we wanted to talk about, and one thing that you mentioned that was kind of interesting is that you moved away from Node.js to .NET Core for your API, and in a lot of cases, what we're talking about is why um, a particular tool or framework, or in this case, Node, solves a problem, and Mm -hmm. we don't talk a lot about, okay, when is it not a good fit? And so it, it might be really interesting to to talk about this. I know some people are going to get their feathers up a little bit as you know as we talk about you know their favorite way to code. Um, but it sounds like there were some rather specific reasons for that, and not necessarily because .NET's better than Node.js. So, do you want to dig into yeah, kind of what led you to consider making that decision, and then what the re- result was?
1: Can Can I kind of ask a little quick question too with that? Like, I. I have heard of a lot of people going from, like, Node to Go, so I'm curious if you explored that.
0: Are you trying to figure out how to stay current with Ruby and Rails? I'm putting on a two-day online conference called Ruby Remote Conf. You can check it out at rubyremoteconf.com. Like I said, it's a two-day conference where you can come and listen to speakers and experts from all around the world talk to you about issues pertaining to Ruby and web development. We have an online Slack channel, roundtable discussion on Zoom, and all of the talks are given over Google Hangouts, and all of the talks will be streamed to you live. Come check us out at I I
1: have heard of a lot of people going from, like, Node to Go, so I'm curious if you explored that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, to, to try and head off any of the religious wars, um, the the Raygun platform itself, we we do use a bit of Go in places. Uh, we use a bit of Node, and we use a bit of stack.net, and we use a little bit of uh, .NET Core, um, and we obviously were using um, Node.js as well for a part there. It's probably best done by explaining the history of how we even had Node in the mix, which was that our core competency at the time was sort of writing code with C-sharp. And so we looked at, um, building our API layer using Mono, the open source version of, of the .NET framework. Uh, and this was, this was many years ago now, this was in like 2013, I think. And, um, the reason we wanted to look at Mono rather than the full stack of .NET was that our API layer is relatively dumb, right? It's it's an auto-scaling group that receives billions of requests a day and largely receives it, validates it, does a couple other checks and then throws it onto a queue for processing. So it's a pretty dumb layer. And at the time, you know, .NET didn't run on, on Linux, but Mono did. And we didn't see any, we didn't have any desire to run Windows in a sort of mass uh, manner. And so we looked at Mono and, my goodness welcome welcome to memory leak city it was just a nightmare trying to maintain that cluster and so at the time we were sort of looking at the the pros and cons of different uh languages and and runtimes and it seemed that node.js offered a really nice model for short-lived sort of transactions that were running there and so we shifted off mono onto onto node.js and we just had a much more stable environment we got similar-ish throughput so it wasn't like a major performance win uh, but we had that in there now fast forward some time and um, it was really just through uh, our cto jeremy boyd sort of doing he does a bunch of our r d work looking at dotnet core when it was announced that you know he was looking for a small project to have a look at and so he started building a clone of our api and seeing how that would Look in comparison again, just out of personal hey, I'm comfortable with with the the .NET stack and I want to learn .NET Core and see what's going on. And the the major win was when we put it in and we were like, wow, this is this is using a lot less resource per request and and handling handling things pretty well. Now, what I think some people may or may not know, and and I'm personally excited by this because I I get off on high performance code is just that the lengths that Microsoft are going to to in terms of the performance story around .NET Core, so they're they're going through and looking at every allocation that you know the base class libraries and all that are making and trying to make it as as performant as possible. I mean, I don't they're now in those uh you know those um I think they're in power benchmarks for web requests and things. They they obviously want to try and land in a good spot on there, um, and so we've benefited from that. So we put it in, and uh, largely we we ended up going from. Approximately a thousand requests per second per node. When I say node, I mean server. Um, to around twenty thousand requests um, per second being handled on there. Now, the the large win that uh, seems to have occurred in there, aside from their work on performance, and I know that it's now in in node and supported, was the asynchronous handoff to the queuing service. So. Keep in mind the time frame there. We were looking at Node years and years ago, um, not having a great threading model for how we pass that data off to the queue would, would keep the the thread, you know, effectively a core busy waiting for the response back from the queue to acknowledge that it accepted the the data. So that was one piece, but there was all of the performance work in there, and so that sped things up. Having said that. At about the time we were putting this in, you know, I started seeing everybody going, oh, cool, the async stuff starting to land in Node. So uh, it's potentially questionable whether um, if we just waited and waited until that had turned up, whether we would have managed to achieve a similar outcome. Um, So that's kind of the core. That's a condensed version. Um, Any questions on that? Not for me. Nope. (laughs) So (laughs) No, it was quite the long story. Had to take you on the journey.
0: So one thing that I'm wondering about with this is um, how much parity is there between Node and .NET? I mean, you talked about the async kind of being the the killer feature for you, but um, I mean, was the rest of it pretty straightforward to to migrate? Or, you know, if somebody's looking at making a migration like this. Are there certain gotchas that they have to be aware of as they move off of Node and onto maybe a different uh, concurrency model or things like that?
2: Well, I, the concurrency model stuff was certainly something to consider at the time, and further to that, at the time with .NET Core, um, you know, the what Microsoft were doing is they delivered this extreme subset of what you would have in full .NET, and so at the time we were looking at it, oftentimes what you would run into is more of that hey, this API that I would kind of expect anything, you know, any modern development environment to have doesn't exist, so I've either got to code it up myself or you know, figure out a way to work around it. So from that point of view, at the time, Node.js had a much richer offering. Obviously, there's a bajillion modules out there to do whatever you'd like. Um, and that wasn't the case with DotNet Core when we were starting. It was pretty pretty low level by comparison. It just uh, was a case that they'd obviously designed it with the concurrency um, stuff from DayDot. Um, so from that standpoint, it was actually a bit of a, bit of a gotcha going to a more constrained API. Having said that, um, you know, we, we were, our CTO was building this prior to, you know, .NET Core 1 and .NET Core 2 is out now and they're doing this big push at expanding out that API, um, and made really great gains on that. So at the time that was the, that was the hard part. I still, you know, it was, this is going a little, a bit away from our API, but was considering this the other day that I. Largely, feel like Node.js is, um, and this is not a put down to people doing you know actual real work with it, but I feel like Node.js is the the go to place for people to learn programming now. And that you pull something down, you can run it up and do something very easily. And I feel like a lot of those bigger frameworks and tools don't really exhibit that. You know, um, even things like Ruby these days, with with Rails being so so large, it's not really the easiest thing to approach for a new person.
3: Mm, interesting.
0: So the other question that I have here, because you mentioned that this is just for your API portion. So what, what yep. is the rest of your stack? I mean, you know, so the web interface, is that all, you know, back-ended on Node or Rails or something? And
2: So we use the full, full stack .NET um, on Windows for okay. the main, main web app. We use Go for orchestrating a bunch of uh, symbolification processes. So, Making stack traces human readable for things like iOS and and uh, proguarded Android apps, right? Um, for that, and then we we also <clears throat> in a way um, we have Java in the mix just because we're using things like Elasticsearch uh, and Druid and things like that in various places for our for our data storage. So there is a, a mix and you know, the, the Raygun platform itself supports about 25 different languages and platforms. So we've got a pretty polyglot team in terms of their skill set. So we will frequently look at something in terms of what is the best tool for the job. But when we were starting out, it was definitely our core competency for the app.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. So what's the thing you miss most now that you don't have uh, Node.js backing your API?
2: That I miss the most... Um, I don't. I don't think we're necessarily missing anything from it. Um, I think the availability of packages to to use for anything you were thinking of building was, you know, that was that was um, a bit of a challenge. At the at The get go, you're pretty used to, you know, anything and anything you want to search for, you'd find somebody built it before and give give it a go. I mean, one of the compatibility things at the time, and this has largely been solved a bit with the. .NET standard sort of contract stuff is that even if you had something that was written for normal .NET, you couldn't use it with .NET Core. Um, so even if a package theoretically existed for the .NET ecosystem, it was a bit of a mishmash trying to find, you know, w- it wouldn't work out of the box for you.
0: I gotcha. So yeah. you go in and you install a package out of NuGet and it just, it, it may not be what you need.
2: Yeah, it would say, hey, this is not built for, what's available here so that was that was a challenge it's that usual thing you know waiting for an ecosystem to kind of get to its uh yeah you know critical mass um and i think you know we can all agree node is well past the (laughs) the critical mass stage
0: yeah and i was at build last week i've been to a few other microsoft events over the last year and i know that um they're encouraging that kind of growth so i think it's just a matter of time if you want to be in that ecosystem
2: yeah absolutely i mean i've been again i mentioned i i don't Write nearly as much code as I, I used to. I still absolutely love writing code um, and finding every excuse. But even some of the tools these days, like Visual Studio Code, you know, I've switched from using um, Sublime for things when I was, say writing writing code for Note to, to now doing it with Visual Studio Code. I think they've they've done a really good job with the ecosystem there, even outside of their sort of core um, audience.
0: Gotcha. I agree with that. So, one other aspect of this migration that, that you, you talked about a bit uh, before the show was getting into migrating from Backbone and Marionette to React.
2: <laughs> yeah, to which you all rightfully mocked. <laughs> That's for it being mocking, so antiquated. It was
3: friendly joking. <laughs> That's right. A little bit
0: of ribbing before the show. I mean, you know, go with how it's hot, it's fine. <laughs>
2: yeah, so when we when we first started building out the the front end of uh, Raygun, we um we did it with Marionette and Backbone, and uh, you know we, I, I won't lie, I was probably part of the piece that was a little bit jaded to you know, hey, let's see on Hacker News what the what's the new hotness on the JavaScript front end um, this week, and you know, kind of got to the point where I was like, I want to wait till something is just absolutely cemented itself as as the next step to go to. And so we're building out a new part of our platform uh, now. We're, we're launching it uh, probably in late Q3. And um, that seemed like a good opportunity for the team to sort of deep dive into something new. And, and don't get me wrong, they've been begging to go to something new for quite a while. Um, and so they chose to to make the migration to to React and to to be honest, I was really impressed. Um, can, at, can yeah, jump sorry, in.
1: can I get some clarification here? Because you said you were building something new, but you also said you're migrating. So I'm a little bit
2: Well yeah. So when you log into our app, right, you've kind of got the the normal Chrome around all the different capabilities. And so there's an element where we have to both migrate the existing um, work while building out the new bit. So okay. the team started off with saying, Okay, well let's let's learn it in a greenfields type approach just for this this sort of components that are going to go inside of the normal Chrome of the app and then sort of bled that out to the point where it's like, okay, now what's it going to look like to start rebuilding the Chrome of this? So I don't think we've actually pushed those changes at all yet to production. Um, it's more predicated on the um, on the new pieces coming out. Um, but I was I was really impressed at how quickly they managed to pick up React and also start running with it and how now they're... Yeah, and again, speaking with you guys, you're probably sitting there going, "Yeah, while well, you were in marionette Land," um, but it's just it just seems a lot cleaner, and you know, the, there's so many benefits that the the team have found, um, which has been fantastic um, across the board because they're using TypeScript. Um, you know, and finding that a lot easier than just writing um, JavaScript and being able to test things there a little bit easier, taking advantage of more modern features and being able to do the, you know, um, still support some of the slightly older browsers with how that compiles down, stuff like that.
1: I'm kind of curious about you using TypeScript with React then. That doesn't seem like a very popular combination.
2: Well, some people would say that the backbone of marionette isn't popular. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'm, just, I'm
1: just saying it's not a combination I hear of typically because like Facebook usually supports Flow. So
2: yeah, so we, we've been we've been using that a little bit um, just to get up to speed with it and and see how we went. They, there's benefits that the team quite like about it um, that. They haven't run into too many issues in using it. Um, the big debate at the moment is that question around uh, using um, you know, Redux uh, for, for the state management and what they're going to do there. Interestingly enough, some of the, the concepts that have come back from the team, we have one of the team members is quite the Windows Presentation Foundation wizard, WPF, from Desktop Windows Apps. And... Um, He sort of commented to me the other day that working with React actually feels quite similar to some of the things he was doing with WPF back in the day around some of the bindings and ways that you can pose up the application, which I thought was also interesting.
3: Yeah, that is interesting.
2: Yep. Are any of you using TypeScript for anything? Yep. How have you found it?
3: Love it. I came from a C-Sharp background myself. Yep. So, so I think in some cases it was it's a little bit like returning home, but mm-hmm. I when I switched from C sharp to um, to JavaScript, I really liked it. I liked getting rid of the types, and then after a while, I started I realized what I was missing again. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, it took me a little bit of going uh, with JavaScript for a while and non-types to appreciate the types and miss them again and also appreciate that it's you can still do things without them mm-hmm. so I, i'm not i'm certainly not uh a proponent of one way is much superior to the other yep but i do uh, appreciate the value of uh using
2: types yeah i i think it just compounded for us that um in some ways. I know, I'm not saying you can't test normal JavaScript, but again, similar to you, coming from that C-sharp background, it just felt like it was a lot more testable to to run things because it was already the mode that the team were already thinking in. Um, and so that proved well. We we also had quite a strong history, not with Raygun, but um, with CopyScript. So back in the day, we built um, the most popular CopyScript extension for Visual Studio that had about 285,000 um, users of that and so I remember, personally I quite liked um, working in CopyScript a bit more than JavaScript at the time but I could equally see that it was losing losing a lot of momentum so I feel like TypeScript sort of has has picked up that ball and, and taken it further than I ever imagined
1: So why TypeScript versus Flow? I know you know if you guys are using React that just doesn't I haven't heard of a lot of people doing that
2: um, to be honest, I'm not entirely sure um around that. Uh the team when they were starting to work with it, you know, I was engaged in, in that project, but um they they were just wanted to, to look they looked at various things and ultimately chose um TypeScript with React. Okay. Yep. Mm. Fair
3: enough. <laughs> Anything well, about that transition that you found to be surprising? I mean I you're already non-characteristic just by using TypeScript with React, right? Yep. It's yep. pretty different. Is there anything else that you guys do that is a little bit against the grain, so to say?
1: And moving away from Node. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For .net.
2: yeah, it's when I get to the point where I say we're, we're migrating to assembly language directly. <laughs> um, there you uh, go. I will just touch touch a little bit on the TypeScript thing. You know, um, I know that around the time the team was looking at it, um, they were reading some of the things like how TypeScript's being used at Slack and, um, you know, the, the team did like the idea of getting some of those tools like IntelliSense type completion that we're used to and stuff like that that, that they really, really liked. So um, that that probably weighed fairly heavily on, the, on that side of things. Um, the downside obviously being that we need those TS definitions to make use of some of those completions, which not everybody kind of has. Um, but, yeah, so... What was that um, in terms of things against the against the grain, I don't think that that's probably the main one. I mean we've always been really um, in some ways painfully pragmatic. With how we approach software development um so like i say, not not changing the framework just because it's new and shiny you know it's just because well sometimes i see these companies come out there and they're like hey we rewrote all of our front end and i'm like well cool so how many of your customers even give a shit like that seemed like a whole lot of wasted effort because you know having said that you don't also want to end up where you're so out of date, like where we were rapidly ending up with the marionette stuff. So you've got to make a call on that. Um, so we take a pretty hard line view of like what what's in it for the customer. Um, and there is stuff for the customer And that, you know, there were lots of limitations around the marionette, backbone setup around how we were having to bring state. It couldn't be easily split. The way that we were doing uh, combining was using a f- uh, tool or framework called Cassette, which was slow and not optimal. So now we're running, you know, we're still using actually Node in our build environment to run um, grunt tasks for how we we build these things and lint them. Um, so, yeah, it, 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 it Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's necessarily that we're, we're doing things that are particularly, um, weird for, for weirdness sake.
3: Well, hopefully not. (laughs) It's an interesting, it would be a weird way to run your development. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So what about the time and learning curve on switching things around? Did you guys already have skill sets in those areas when you switched? Or was it a matter of, wow, we're doing something radically different and it really took some effort on our development team's part?
2: No, to to be honest, we've always felt, and and with the time frame – you know, when we when we first elected to play around with Marinette and Backbone, um, the choices were a lot more limited than what they are today, and it, it did seem like it was a reasonably good choice out of the bunch. Um, but what we had fast ended up at was that the learning curve on that was really, really steep. So when we would onboard new engineers into the team, specifically the front-end team, it would actually take them a long time to fully sort of grok uh, how to work with those those frameworks, compare and contrasting that to even the team picking up and running with React. Like I say, I, I've been really impressed at how easy it's been to pick up. You know, I've played with this stuff as well and I found it pretty straightforward and I historically, um, you know, if anything, the, the previous models that we were using drove me away from wanting to touch any of the front end code and, and, sort of live a little bit more on the back end. So I think it's to the existing team members, a little bit of a breath fresh air. Um, and, with the way that the component model works with, within React, it's gonna be a lot easier for, for new folks to sort of jump on and have a um, get up to speed with. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
0: This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Are you searching for a new job? That can be stressful, scary, and time-consuming. Pushy recruiters try to sell you on roles you don't actually want. And the job boards make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole, never to be seen again. And sometimes you go all the way through the interview process just to find out at the very end that the salary, offer, or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. Hired is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering, development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. We make your job search faster, focused, and stress-free. Instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with compelling new opportunities. After completing one simple application, top employers apply to hire you. And on Hired, you receive personal interview requests and upfront salary information so you can make informed decisions about what opportunities to pursue over a condensed timeline. Hired offers access to more than 4,000 innovative employers, including big brand names like Facebook and smaller emerging startups. The size and type of company you want to connect with is totally up to you. And we help you find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. Open to relocation? Let them know. Your privacy and autonomy in your job search is of utmost importance. And if you go check them out at the show's link, that's hire.com slash javascriptjabber, you can get double the hiring bonus that they offer. That's $600 instead of $300. So go check them out at hire.com slash javascriptjabber today.
2: With the way that the component model works within React, it's going to be a lot easier for for new folks to sort of jump on and have a um, get up to speed with. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes sense.
0: So you mentioned um, that you kind of went on Hacker News and saw what people were using that had kind of become the next stage of web development that was stable. Um do you feel like if you had done this a while back, you would have wound up with Angular or something else? Um Or were there other things that you did with it that kind of, um, you know, helped you make that decision? I'm just thinking in terms of, you know, if people are evaluating uh, a framework like this, you know, how do they know that this is the right choice for them too?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we did we did evaluate um, things like Angular, and we've you know built support for Angular into our JavaScript libraries and and whatnot. So, again, well, because we had to support these things based on our customers using them, there was an inherent element where we understood and used these technologies uh, internally, um, but we we weren't deploying them into the app. So, I suspect absolutely that if it was a few years ago, we, we probably would have. Um, ended up using something like Angular. From memory, and this is really straining the old gray matter, when we were first building out um, the the Raygun front end, you were seeing more uh, sort of data-binding frameworks rather than full SPA-type frameworks at the time. Uh, I think Angular was just coming out. It was very, very early days, so you didn't know if that was really a, a goer or, or not. Um, and so that's, that's why we ended up where we were there. We, we, like I said, we, we keep a finger on the pulse of what's going on out there, um, but we went, yeah, sort of sat down and said, hey, if we're doing this new greenfield part, it, it might be a great time to actually explore a new framework. And, you know, the the writing was on the wall a while ago. There was discussion about, you know, is, is Backbone dead? You know, and there were people that were like, no, it's not. And there are other people saying, absolutely, it hasn't had any updates in quite a while. Um, and that was kind of a bit of the, that wasn't the only writing on the wall. We... um we also were just finding that uh, the scope of how we were using it was starting to impact some of the performance on the front end. So, again, customers benefit from us not having to, well, being able to break things down into smaller parts as the application's gotten bigger from when we launched it. Makes sense.
0: So, uh, it also seems like there's a little bit of risk here. I mean, um, as far as errors go, I guess you know how to track errors, but <laughs> you know, you know, uh, keeping track of the performance and you know all of the other considerations that you have to make. Uh, what did you do there to make sure that uh, you weren't, you know, backsliding or making mistakes or that you were getting the results that you intended?
2: Yeah, so that's a great question. I think um, since we last spoke, maybe uh, we actually but. The Raygun platform is both crash reporting and real user monitoring, so we do all of the timings on the front end for how long every asset loads, how long JavaScript's taking to load and we do custom metrics on that too so we could we have things like where we were timing even how long is marinette taking to initialize in our customers browsers and reporting on that um, so that's where we found hotspots where we were looking at things and that's also how we were measuring some of the things with react say is this an improvement or not so we do both the front end um, we actually do real user monitoring both on mobile for native mobile apps and, and on the web with JavaScript, along with the, the crash reporting um, capabilities. So we just used our own tools for tracking that. Mm-hmm. Yep. I've kind of been surprised overall at how few people actually track the performance uh, for end users. You know, the space, the APM space has been really, really popular with measuring the timings for, hey, how long is it taking my server to serve stuff? But given these richer front ends, you know, it's it's not actually uncommon for us to see customers who will put in the real user monitoring capabilities and go, yeah, my server's spitting back the content in like, say, 30 to 50 milliseconds but I didn't realize that it was now going to sit in the user's browser for four seconds while it initialized, made subsequent AJAX calls to fetch some state and, and whatnot, and actually is quite a slow application to use.
0: Now, it seems like there are some tools out there that do that kind of evaluation for you. I'm trying to remember, um, I think there's there a are. free one, like website test or something like that.
2: Yeah, so website tests will do that typically on the the load times um, for fetching the assets. It'll also, um, you can also obviously just use Chrome DevTools or Firefox DevTools um, to do it. But what we've typically found is larger organizations will want some sort of continuous monitoring of what's going on, feeding back into their deployment um, process to, to give feedback. So, you know, if we're shipping code several times a day, we, we definitely want to be alerted if, say, uh, the website um, render times are, are going up. Hmm. Are there any specific tools that, uh, that you all use for monitoring the performance of your JavaScript?
3: I open it up by hand and check it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, you open up the Chrome DevTools and see how long it yep. takes to execute stuff.
2: Yeah, there you go. Yep. yep. I love that. Yeah, to, to that point, uh, this is just my idle curiosity, but what's your views these days on the JavaScript performance across the various browsers? Are they are they all fast enough now that you don't, don't particularly care or is there a, a hotspot or some sort of issues that you've had?
3: You know, it just seems like it's always changing, right? Like yeah. today the focus is on the, this kind of performance and tomorrow the focus is on that, you know, and then because the, that's a reaction to what the frameworks are doing and how they're doing it, right? And then the frameworks get better at something and so then the perform- the focus gets away from it. And it goes to something else, right? Like, what's the hot topic today? So I feel like there's not necessarily like it, you know, today it's a focus on rendering time. That seems to be a big focus in, uh, you know, first uh, content that the user sees. And that's because we've really com- made the front end frameworks complex. And so they're doing a lot now and so back when we were you know doing server-side rendering the problem was the user's perform you know experience was garbagey now that's not the issue now it's that we get them give them a whole bunch of experience you know so the performance from the user side was terrible because uh it would take forever to make a round trip back to the server so now we're not doing that so much anymore but instead we've got this issue of what well, we're sending we're doing so much on the uh client side now that it's taking the user's computer too much time. And so we've got to optimize that process in various different ways.
0: Well, and then it gets complicated too with all of the stuff involving like progressive web apps and, you know, it's like, okay, so it performs okay on my laptop that has 64 or my desktop that has 64 gigs of RAM in it and, you know, eight cores, but, you know, on my phone, not so much.
2: Yep. Yeah, and that's the, that's the same as well as the challenge around. Hey, we're all. It's pretty rare that a software developer has a, you know, pretty crappy machine that they're working on. Versus, if you're building software, particularly for for what I like to call the normals, you know, they might they might be on a pretty old machine, um, and so understanding that is also also a challenge.
0: Mm-hmm. Or just a Chromebook. I mean, my son is doing online school and. You know we bought him a Chromebook, and so that's that's what he spends his time on all day and so yep. it's it's pretty resource constrained and he's on the Wi-Fi connection downstairs, which generally is fast but sometimes isn't so fast and so even then you know it's not a phone, but it's still not an ideal machine for loading some of these complicated apps
2: mm. yeah I'm, I'm kind of curious I mean we're keeping an eye on various things, some of them that we're obviously won't need for Raygun, like, you know, some of the, the web VR bits, but I'm, I'm kind of curious about things like WebAssembly, and I know it's super early days on that for performance, but um, I'm kind of curious whether we're going to see some of these frameworks that uh, do some sort of interoperation with it to try and make, you know, the, the actual constrained parts quicker. And I know that that interop layer is, is somewhat non-existent today, but seeing where that's going, have any of you sort of been looking into that space and how to play with it? Not really.
0: No, I haven't personally.
2: Yeah. Uh, I kind of think since people want to use it for games, but I'm, you know, again, it's like, it, usually if it's so performance focused to build games that it's nice when you sort of leak it up to, um, you know, not normal frameworks and, and apps that people are building.
3: Right.
0: So um, now that you've kind of made these changes on this framework and stuff, I'm I'm a little bit curious too. Um, do Do you feel like this has enabled you to build other features or other areas of functionality now into um, into Raygun to make it you know work better or do more things for your customers?
2: Oh, Absolutely. I mean, um, part of the reason with this major piece coming that we wanted to look at it was because uh, we were pretty aware that we were sort of running with our shoelaces tied together, um, just partly because of the fact that it was very difficult to build components and selectively load things. We were sort of having to cart around too much state around the entire app. Um, So it's definitely speeding that up. And, you know, there's things that the team are building now where... I would have kind of thought, oh yeah, this will take two or three weeks to kind of get a prototype up, and then you know one of our front-end engineers will be like, you know, here's an example I've built, and it's taken me a couple of days. Um, so, in in a lot of ways, we're we're sort of seeing it more as a task of repaying a, a whole bunch of technical debt um, that's been floating around for a while. Um, and so, absolutely, moving moving more quickly is uh, is a key benefit. Mm, I get that. Well, it feels, you know, it comes back to your, your point earlier about, hey, performance matters, hey, errors matter, hey, all of this thing. You know, and at the end of the day, uh, I think it is just the growing maturity of the software industry where we cost a fortune to build stuff. It needs to get better, and, and you know, for what we're paying. Um, and part of that comes down to the velocity of the individual engineer and what they can achieve.
3: Right. Yep. I agree with that. Well, that's all my questions.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I oh. have any more either. I do not.
2: <laughs> Excellent. This has been the easiest interrogation I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, well, uh, keep your posts and hopefully, you know, uh, if anything, we can do another podcast in probably about 2027 where I'll talk about how we're shifting off React.
3: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So do you have any specific advice then if people are using Node.js and they're finding that it's just not meeting their needs to, for for making a change like this then, just overall?
2: Well, one, one of the things I'd say specific to the Node.js discussion at the start is that it is a framework that's moving. So we actually post a, a blog series every sort of, wouldn't say major release, but release of uh, Node.js that comes out, we benchmark the performance across a lot of the web frameworks, um, and it just seems like you know there's tremendous momentum in the in the Node.js community, and so that is one area where we definitely did not rest on our laurels about moving up in the frameworks. There's a lot to benefit. Like I say the the async stuff now coming in is is fantastic to see. Um, that would be my, my advice to folks who are in, uh, working with Node.js. Don't, don't wait too long.
0: <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Newbie Remote Conf. Newbie Remote Conf is a two-day completely virtual conference hosted by none other than Charles Max Wood. If travel expenses are an issue or you just can't afford to be away from home for two days, then join us. It's virtual. The conference is focused on people who want to keep up with the latest in programming or just get a leg up in getting a job and getting into the programming community. We'll have speakers from all over the programming community to help you stay current in a Slack room where you can connect with speakers and other attendees in real time. We'll also have a live roundtable video chat for attendees and speakers, plus we'll provide the talk recordings to you within days of the conference. Early bird tickets are available for $150 until May 12th, and the call for proposals is open until April 28th, so come join us at newbieremoteconf.com. All right. Well, let's go ahead and move into the picks section of the show. Um, Joe, are you ready for us? You want to start first?
3: Oh, sure. Um, I'm going to pick something very, very, very weird. So just very recently, some company, I have no idea who it is, put out a new role-playing game like Dungeons & Dragons Uh, except this one is a My Little Pony role-playing game. (laughs) Oh, my. (laughs) (laughs) And I just saw the book on the shelf, and I thought, you know, how clever that is for somebody to put out, uh, you know, a very unique flavor of a role-playing game like this. So it's called Tales of Equestria, T-A-I-L-S. And that's going to be my pick. Is that if you're into role-playing games, maybe you have uh, some. Maybe you're you're a brony. Maybe you are. Um, and not what's the term for an adult female who likes My Little Pony? I don't know what that is, but I
1: have no idea. <laughs> I do not like uh, My Little Pony. So.
3: <laughs> they just might not exist. <laughs> right. Uh, or maybe you've got daughters who are into My Little Pony, or sons that are into My Little Pony, and you want to try some, And you used to do some Dungeons and Dragons. Want to try some role playing? Uh, check it out. I'd be interested to hear if anybody actually gives it a try and how it is. So, that's my pick is Tales of Equestria.
0: Cool. All right, Amy. What are your picks?
1: Uh, let's see. So I don't know. Since this kind of goes along with errors and performance, I'm going to go with a blog post that somebody posted in our Slack channel last week um, that, I don't know, I've talked about this in the past and I just think it's really good. Uh, it's called A Tragedy uh, Tragedy of 100% Code Coverage. Uh, so I think sometimes we uh, get a false sense of security when we just, like, go for 100% code coverage instead of actually, like, thinking, not not saying not that people don't do this, but I think it's more important to, like, Think about the test you're writing rather than going for just coverage. So, uh, it's a good blog post. So, I will go with that for today.
0: All right. Well, I'm going to jump in here with a few picks. Uh, first of all, I am pulling together Angular Remote Conf. So, if you're interested in that, uh, go to angularremoteconf.com. Uh, the car po- call for proposals is still open. So, uh, if you want to speak, uh, definitely submit a talk. Um, and,. Yeah, I think that's my only pick. I've been playing with um, with Raygun, and I like it, so I guess I'll pick them, too.
2: Score. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to get your feedback uh, once you've had a bit more of a play around. Um, so I'll, I'll jump in with my picks if it's my turn. Yeah, go ahead. Yep, so I have two, and I'm going to stick with the gaming uh, line, though I won't be my little pony. Two, two two items in there one of them um, just because I find some people don't know it exists is the the Discord app so I've been enjoying using that uh, which is basically like Slack for gamers um, so it's entirely free and it frankly looks cooler than Slack but um, so that's been that's been neat and the second one is I'm old school with my gaming and when we started our company many many moons ago we used to uh The founders, we would sort of kick back and play um, Supreme Commander Forged Alliance, where it was always fun to nuke each other. And so a little while ago, I discovered that there is a um, open source project called Forged Alliance Forever, where the community have built a an entire client around the the old game, so it's got matchmaking and a, you can download the mods and manage all of that. Despite the fact that uh, the company that made Supreme Commander is is long gone, um, so if you're you're into those old uh, that old game, um, check just Google Forged Alliance Forever makes it playable again, which is cool.
0: Nice. All right, if people want to check out what you're doing these days, um, is there a blog or a Twitter account or a GitHub account or something else that they should be looking at?
2: Uh, Twitter is the best way. So I'm TraskJD on Twitter, T-R-A-S-K-J-D. I have a blog, um, but, you know, I write on that about as frequently as we change our JavaScript framework, so I wouldn't share the
0: link. Gotcha. All right, well. Uh, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Thank you for coming.
2: It's been my pleasure. Great to hang with you all. Thank you.
0: All right. Well we'll uh, we'll talk to everyone next week. Bye. 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 Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C A C H E F L Y dot com to learn more.